Well, good morning, everyone. I see you ventured out in this sub-December weather that we have. Uh, People from California right now are going, what have I done to myself? I know that feeling. Okay, um, we have two seasons here. If you are from California, we have winter and the 4th of July. So uh, summer is coming. We enjoy all 24 hours of it, and then we go back to winter. Just kidding. This morning's kind of a neat morning. We have with us Ryan Reese. Uh, he uh, is head of the Whosoever's. And uh, ministry of reaching out to primarily young, middle-aged people with the gospel of hope. And, you know, one of the things that we realize is that to reach a, every generation requires a different way of doing things. I remember back in the late 60s, early 70s, everybody was looking for love. Everybody was looking for meaning meaningful purpose. And and the thing is, society wasn't really offering that. It seemed like everybody was more concerned about going to the moon than they were in interpersonal relationships. And so when the Jesus movement hit, it was really an opportunity for people to connect with one another. And most of all, understand that their sins could be forgiven and that they could spend eternity with God forever. And this is one of the things I think is so important in the world today because people have forgotten that. We don't even know how to communicate anymore. And I don't know how many times I've shared this, and I know you've seen it. You'll see two people out on a date on a Friday night, but they're not talking to each other. They're doing this on their handhelds, whatever it is, not even acknowledging the person they're out on a date with. Well, this is one of the things the Bible says, and Paul says, and to communicate, forget not. It seems that we've forgotten how to communicate. And so we have to learn to speak their language. Paul said it like this. I become all things to all men that I may win some. That did not mean that he became a prostitute to minister to prostitutes or a drug dealer to minister to drug dealers. But what it meant is that he would be and go where they were so he could communicate the love of Jesus with them. And I believe that's really an important part of how we communicate the gospel in the world today. You see, that was one of the things that happened in the early 60s, early 70s, late 60s, was that there was that reaching out to people. Hey, as a matter of fact, buddy, Jesus loves you. And we could actually begin to lead them in. But again, it wasn't that we were going out in the streets and beating people over the head with a sandwich sign that said, repent or perish, but rather it was building a relationship with somebody. And I find that a lot of times it works really well when we take interest in other people to be able to communicate what our message is. The, the, we've we've lost how to communicate. And part of communication is showing that, hey, I care about you. You know, it's interesting. I watched a, a person one time. He was a Christian and I was with him. And we went into the store and this person had tattoos all over their arms. And if you're older, a lot of times that seems to be a a, a wall between generations, if you know what I'm saying. But to the younger group, tattoos are now everywhere. Now, I'm not so sure that the devil isn't getting the world set up for the ultimate tattoo on your hand or on your forehead. In other words, it becomes very acceptable to have a tattoo. Because if you go down the breakfast 
cereal aisle in the store, you know, free gift inside, and here's, you know, temporary tattoos and boxes of cereal. So yeah, but the thing is, I watched this person that I, I really, um, Christian brother, he goes in and he saw all these tattoos and he says, oh, I see all your tattoos. What does that mean? And the girl said, well, this is, this is the, this is uh, the one for my uh, little boy who died. And, and this one, and, and began to go that they actually meant something, but it bridged a gap. It bridged a, a thing where then he began to share it. I think he had a tattoo on his arm and he said, well, this is one means this. And so all of a sudden there's a whole nother communication that's going on. Because we took interest in somebody else. We noticed them. Remember the woman at the well. Jesus comes up and says, give me a drink of water. And she said, and by the way, as I've always told you before, when you see something out of the ordinary, look for God. Whether it be a boat called the ark that was built over a period of a hundred years where the people in that area in those days saw this ark being built and disregarded the information at hand or whether it was but when you ever see something out in the ordinary jesus gave this woman said give me a drink of water and she said to him how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? We don't have dealings with each other. Now, what does that mean? That means she noticed something out of the ordinary. Friends, when we see something out of the ordinary, I believe that's God's invitation for you to reach out to that person. Well, no matter what, that's the thing. And so to meet people where they are. Said so all that to simply say this. We notice people where they are. We bring the message of the gospel. This is something that Ryan has done. He sees a group of kids liking skateboarding. Sees a group of uh, people well, looking for a place to belong. And so what he's done, really as an evangelist, has gone out and minister to them where they're at. In other words, we have our church. Hey, you come to us. No, he sees them where they're at and goes to them. And friends, that is evangelism. And so we're going to have him. But a little bit more, we're going to see this uh, right now. Ryan will come up after the video, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Do you hear them literally chanting? Now she comes through the portal, and now this demon comes out of her. Are you kidding me? This is a kid's movie, y'all. That's crazy to me. And until that becomes crazy to you, maybe you're so desensitized and so secular that you miss that as a Christian, we're supposed to come out from among them and be ye separate. And I'm telling you, the world is not becoming more atheistic. The world is increasing in the belief of the supernatural, but they're encountering it in a counterfeit way. The spirits that are at work, they want your kid to be in the middle of that ritual. I'm about to get so much hate for this video. Let me know what your thoughts are about this. It's good to be back. Thank you, Mike Kessler and AJ for having me out and all the team here at the church and CSN. It's awesome to always be back with you guys. Yes, I tour around all over the world and um, my mission is the Great Commission, as you guys know. 
And um, just wanted to bring you guys up to speed with uh, this video really quick to kind of cue up the message today. Um, this is a new uh, film that's called Red. It's on Disney. And that scene is basically, they're doing a seance. It looks like a, a pentagram circle minus the pentagram because they got to dumb it down for kids, right? And they're exercising this demon with this kid. And when we look at the world at large, we know that what's going on with Disney, what's going on with Netflix and several others, there's this whole agenda to program our kids, desensitize them to the supernatural and then obviously to, you know, to the LGBTQ and et cetera and all this, all this confusion. We know Satan likes to confuse everyone and he wants to destroy uh, God's creation and confuse it. But what I would like to do is to ask you guys, as, as I'm a father of, of triplet daughters that are six years old, I have a son that's two and a half. Um, we have to be watching what we're watching. I mean, the average screen time is nine to 10 hours a day. That's just on your phone. There's stuff that we have to watch out what we're watching because we know the the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Um, You will open yourselves to the supernatural realm by watching stuff. I mean, that's just the way it is. Just the doors unlock and Satan comes in. He gets those footholds or those strongholds in your life and things will be happening. I've talked to several students. This is before the whole non-binary and LGBT and all that became a big, big thing. This was about eight years ago. Uh, when I was teaching at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I met with this girl named Honey Bear and her, she brought her daughters, which one was 12 and then her two friends, which were 13, two 13 year olds and a 12 year old. And they were having supernatural encounters in their rooms of demonic stuff showing up in the rooms. And, and one of them didn't know if she was a boy or a girl and the whole thing. And that was like years ago before this whole thing became trendy. So we have to watch out. Like my kids, you know, we got rid of Disney and Netflix, obviously, because we're not going that woke program. We're not going to support them and um, we're going to watch out what they watch. And I'm a realist. I can't, my kids can't watch VeggieTales 24 hours a day. Okay. But you know, there, I have to be very sharp and seeing what they can watch and what they, what they cannot watch. We want to raise them in the ways of the Lord, but um, we can't have them indoctrinated by, by garbage. So today... My message is called The Light That Leads to Life. I'm going to be teaching out of John chapter 12, verses 27 to 50. So up to this point, we know that, you know, in the beginning, we know that in the garden there was Satan tempted Eve. She took a a bite of the fruit or whatever that was and sin entered the world. Adam followed and at that point, Jesus, Jesus had to be sent on a rescue mission from his father, God in heaven to planet earth, to die for the sins of the world and take the whole sins away so that we can be forgiven and we can have that new spirit that life when we receive the Holy spirit. So he sent Jesus down to planet earth. He was born of a virgin through Mary and for 30 years he was raised out there. And then he started his public ministry when he was around 30 years old to 32 years old. Uh, John the Baptist, his cousin, ends up baptizing him in the water. The sky split. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Jesus got baptized with the Holy Spirit. The scripture says he got filled with the Holy Spirit. In Mark, it says he was driven by the Holy Spirit. In Luke, it says he was led by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness where he, he met Satan. And he fasted ferociously and prayed hard for 40 days. At his weakest point, Satan showed up to him to tempt him. But what did Jesus do? We've talked about this before. He fought him off with the word of God. The word is the sword of the spirit. He fought him off 
with the Word of God, and Jesus was the Word. And what happened from that point, he decided to get his 12, 12 disciples, his motley crew of disciples, the filthy fishermen, I call them. Some of them were filthy fishermen. Why were they filthy? Because they smelled like fish, right? So you had a couple fishermen, a couple of those guys had anger problems. Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Then you had Judas, which I call the biggest poser in the Bible. Because he went to all the Bible studies, he was he saw the signs, the wonders, the miracles, he heard the word preached from Jesus Christ himself, and yet still his heart was far from God, and he was stealing money out of the ministry, out of the pot. Then you had uh, Simon the Zealot. Uh, he was a revolutionary that got converted. So if he was living today, he would have been an Antifa guy that got saved and was following Jesus. So, and then you got Peter and a couple other fellas in that in that crew. But when you look at these guys, this is this this mixed up motley crew of of individuals that God got that Jesus got, which is the Son of God, that took them through planet Earth, showing the difference between a relationship with God of the universe versus dead religion. And he was going out, he was preaching the Word of God, he was surfacing in the temples, he would crack open the Scriptures and read it. Then he says that he would go from town to town and village to village, and they would cast out demons, heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind. This was the great commission that Mike was talking about. He says, go out and preach the gospel, Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey my commandments. And that's where we're at in the church, learning to obey the commandments, the word of God. And then we go out and that's how the church feels is from constantly going out, reaching them where they're at and bringing them in. Jesus is the model. From that point, Jesus ends up raising Lazarus from the dead, a dead man out of the tomb after three days. And now the word is out. They didn't have Instagram back then. They didn't have Twitter, right? So everyone's talking, the word's getting out. The, the Passover celebration's happening in Israel. So it could have been like one point one million to 1.5 million people meeting there for this massive celebration from all over the place and the, it says that the word is out jesus shows up on palm sunday he comes walking on a donkey fulfills prophecy at that point the the disciples say he's, he's revealing he's the messiah to the nation of israel and then the religious leaders says there says and he says look at nothing we could do look everyone has gone after jesus there was a revival happening with the nation of israel and jesus and now we're going to pick up in john chapter 12 verse 27 jesus says this now He's heading to the cross now. So he flips into a prayer and he says, Now my soul is deeply troubled, but what should I say or what should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. But this is the very reason why I came. Father, bring glory to your name. And then, boom, a voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. When the crowd heard this voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared it was an angel who had spoken from heaven. And then Jesus told them, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. And remember, I've taught this before to you guys. All signs and wonders point back to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that the word of God is real. Continuing in verse 31, Jesus says, the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. God is going to judge the sin of the world and defeat the work of Satan through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The power of sin will be broken so we don't have to be dominated by the work of the flesh and be a slave to our body appetites. And now we can live in freedom 
freedom through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit flowing in and out of our lives. It's called the Spirit-led life. It's what Jesus lived. He lived the Spirit-led life. The Holy Spirit was in him. You know, when you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross and raised from the dead, you receive the Holy Spirit. He's in us. And then he's with us. And he's given us those stop signs that I talked about uh, in my book is when you're going through life and the, Jesus will give, the Holy Spirit will give those stop signs. Don't go over there or like get out of here. Or, you know, if you're getting those urges from the enemy to go back to the old ways of your life, your sin, he'll give you those stop signs, those promptings of, of the work of the Holy Spirit. So he's in us. He's with us. The Holy Spirit will come upon us. Acts 1.8. You will receive that dynamite power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you when you need to speak or when you need to step out by faith. Maybe lay hands on the sick or whatever it be. The Holy Spirit will come upon us and the Holy Spirit will flow through us. John 7.37. Jesus says, anyone that believes in me, I will give them the torrents of living water. It will be a fresh bubbling spring that will that will belly up inside of you and it will flow through you. It will be like the, the, the falls behind us. We want the torrents of the living water flowing in and through our lives. That's the Spirit-led life. The only thing that quenches the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life is the power of sin. But what does the power of sin look like in our life? You know my story, but I'm going to say this just for the radio uh, people. Um, the power of sin looks like this. I got into sin at a young age. And the progression of sin, it started just with smoking and drinking and some porn. Then that escalated to me going into the music industry. It wasn't sin for me to work in the music industry and the in the professional skateboard industry. But what happened, it was all the bad habits bowing down the, the body appetites that kept increasing, increasing in my life to where the next thing you know, I was a slave to alcohol. I was a slave to cigarettes. I was a slave to pornography. I was a slave to sex. I was a slave to my body appetites and I could not control which led me to oh, taking too many drugs and alcohol in a hotel room and giving my life to Jesus Christ after ODing for the third time in my life and losing friends to suicide and drug overdose, 19 of them from the time I was, I was growing up. And these are professional skateboarders, professional musicians. These are professional artists that the drugs and the alcohol, it just took their life, right? Now, the other illustration is, you know, uh, is the monkey, right? We've talked about this. I don't know if I told you guys about the monkey, but if you put a monkey, not a monkey, a frog inside of a pot of water and you turn it on, on low, what happens is the frog adapts to the low heat. Then you put it on medium heat and then it adapts to the medium heat and then you put it on the large heat and what happens is high heat is it cooks to death but the frog doesn't know it's cooking to death and that's what sin does in our life. It slowly takes your life and you don't even know when you start getting involved in sinning sometimes you drift like when you surf you could paddle out to the waves and there could be an undercurrent and you could be looking at the waves not looking at the land and what happens that undercurrent will take you away far away and finally when you catch a wave and you turn around you're down the beach a couple miles because you slowly drift and you don't even realize when you're slowly involved with sin and the monkey the monkey story the way they would catch the monkeys in the in the philippines is they would empty a coconut and what happens is the monkey would put their hand in the coconut and grab the rice and once he grabs the rice it locks he can't pull his hand out because his hand is a fist and all that monkey has to do to not get caught and killed and captured is he just has to let go of the rice but yet that's like sin all we have to do is let go and surrender and go to christ but yet we hold on to it and but that but how do we break the power of sin 
and live in freedom. And how do we make ourselves right with God? In Romans chapter 3, verse 22 to 26, it says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, period. So how are we made right? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ, that he died and he raised from the dead. And then he goes on to say this. He says, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. So if you're here right now and you're like, Ryan, I'm too far gone. There's no way God could forgive me. He put that sentence in there for you. No matter who you are today or what you've done. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short from God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalties of sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe in Jesus, sacrifice his life, shed in his blood on the cross. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and didn't punish those who had sinned in time past. For he was a looking ahead, including them in what he was going to do in this present time. Right now, in this minute, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just. He made him, he made sinners right in his sight when they believed in Jesus. So let's go back to verse 22 in case you didn't get it. I want to simplify it. We are made right when God, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who you are here today. It all comes down to confessing, repenting, believing, and receiving the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Confessing. When I was in that hotel room and I said, God, I'm going to confess. I decided that I made my mind up that I was done. Not like, okay, I'm going to confess my sins, but I think I'm going to still go back to that life. No, I was like, I am done, and I don't know how I'm going to quit, but God, I'm a sinner, and I need you. Forgive me of everything I've done. And what happens is when I confess immediately with the blood that was shed on the cross, I'm washed white as snow and I'm forgiven. I repent. God, I'm not going back in that direction. I'm only going to you. So the Bible says the wages of sin lead to death. That means if I'm driving my car and I'm going to go up the cliff and die, I, I don't want to die. So what do I do? I basically flip a U-turn, a flip a U-E. So repenting is flip a U-turn from the direction in which you are going. Instead of going back to that life, going out and hanging out with those same friends, doing that same stuff, or watching pornography at your computer at night, Get rid of the internet. Get rid of that computer. Do what you got to do. But you need to flip a Yui and stop going into that direction. So that's repenting, believing, and receiving the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Believing that Jesus did what he did on the cross and it is finished. And he gets your sins and he casts them as far as the east and to the west. And he buries them in the deepest part of the ocean. And you never have to bring them up again. So even though you may be laying in your bed at night and Satan is putting that video screen in your mind of, all the things you've done wrong. I wish I could have. Oh man, 20 years ago, if I would have done this, or if I could just change this, that's Satan. He's the condemner. He likes to condemn and make you live in your past. You need to believe and receive that it is finished. Jesus grabs your sins and puts them in the deepest part of the ocean and never brings them up again. Why are you bringing them up again? So you believe and receive eternal life. And that is through faith 
in Jesus Christ, sacrificing his life, shedding his blood on the cross 2,000 years ago. We have B.C. before uh, Christ, and we have A.D., and A.D. stands for uh, the year of the Lord, in which is translation from Latin. You can look it up. So he basically split time in half, okay? He's in our face every day when we write the date. And that is the attraction and the power of the gospel message of John three sixteen and 17. You know that famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, who is Jesus Christ, that whosoever from bums apprentice that believe by faith that he died and raised from the dead would have everlasting life. In John 17, it says, God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world or to condemn the world, but to save the world for what he did on the cross. And how are you saved? And making yourself right with God? By believing by faith in what he did. Going on in John chapter 12, verse 34. So the crowd responded to him and said, We understood from the scriptures that the Messiah would live forever. But how can you say, uh, how can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? The people were confused of what the Old Testament scripture said about the Messiah living and reigning in the eternal kingdom forever. And this is true. But in Isaiah 53 verses 1 to 12, it says one of the prophecies talks about the Messiah's death on the cross. And I'm only going to read 11 and 12. It says this. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For many will be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honor of the victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted amongst the rebels, and he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. And when I think about rebels, I think about when Jesus was on the cross, when he was dying for the sins of the world, and he had the two uh, revolutionaries, the criminals, on each side of him. And one was like on their deathbed, and there's like, I'm, forget you, Jesus, basically. I don't want none. But the other guy, he goes, Jesus, remember me when you're in paradise. He believed. He didn't get baptized. Nothing happened. He just believed that Jesus was the Son of God on his deathbed, and he was there in paradise. But please don't wait till you're on your deathbed for that moment, because you don't know what's going to happen. Life is like a vapor of smoke. Gone today, gone tomorrow. I could be driving home today. I moved to Boise finally, by the way. Um, I could be driving home. Boom, I can hit in a car. I'm dead. You know, you don't got time. You don't know what's going to happen. Life is uh, but a but a vaporous smoke. So he was counted amongst the rebels. It was right in front of their faces, but they didn't believe what was written about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And the Jewish people still don't believe today when you travel to Israel. You could go to Israel right now and they have the um, the Temple Mount, which that's where the, um, the Palestinians have their temple up on top. And then below it, they have the Western Wall, which the derogatory name for it is the Wailing Wall because they're making fun of the Jews that they're crying because they don't have a temple. That is the closest place to the temple. And right now, when you go there, they have a place called the Temple Institute in that same area. And you go in there and you will see where they have everything created for the new temple that is going to be built by the Antichrist, as we know, when he shows up. So you go in there and, and they have the king, they have the this big menorah that's like millions of dollars worth of gold. They already have the red heifer ready to go for the first sacrifice. Everything's ready. And you go, hey, because you've got to play dumb when you're there. And you go, hey, what's up? How come you guys have all this stuff created? You don't even have a temple. 
And they say, the Messiah will be here any day. And when he shows up, we will know he's the Messiah because he will build the temple. Like it talks about in Revelations, but we know that's the Antichrist and that's a whole nother story. And the hairs on your arms stand up, but they're blinded to who Jesus was, the Messiah, back then. And they're waiting for the Antichrist. Verse 35 in John chapter 12, Jesus replied to them, my light will shine with you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there's still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and he was hidden from them. We have two options. Children to be children of the light or children of the corn. Let's talk about walking in darkness versus walking in light. So the other day, this was actually a few weeks ago, I was leaving to go on tour and I had this big travel bag upstairs, right? And I got to go down a couple flights of stairs in my house and uh, I have like a seven stair and then there's like a three and then another seven. And I was going to come down and it was dark. I didn't want to turn the lights on. I didn't want to wake up my kids or anything like that. It was like four in the morning and I go to go down the stairs and I missed the first stair. So I go flying down seven stairs. Thank God I'm a skateboarder. Okay. And I'm used to jumping down stairs and handrails and stuff, but I'm holding a bag and it's a heavy bag and I go flying down the stairs. And I don't know if you've probably seen this on funniest home videos or something, but when people do face plants and their feet like go up like this, like a scorpion, we call that scorpion in skateboarding where you slap and you, you go up, you totally get wrecked. I almost did that. Thank God I did not break my back on the way down. But I whacked my face and I was out of control flying down the stairs. I thought I was going to die and like roll my ankle. I survived. So I continued to go down the stairs, not turning on lights like a dummy. Then I was trying to go out the back door to the garage to get my car, not turn on lights. And I'm going fast because I'm late to the airport. And I hit this like big box of, it was actually a bunch of plates and glasses and stuff that I was supposed to take out for my wife to the garage that I didn't remove. And I hit that and I went flying over that and I tripped and I went flying into the door uh, and I hit my, my garage door on the way out to my actual garage and I whacked my face on that too. So that's a very great illustration of what happens in the dark, right? You could get hurt, you could trip up or you could die, right? But versus walking in the light, well, if I had the light on, clearly I would have seen the stair and I wouldn't have hit those glasses and I would have uh, not almost died. So imagine being in a battlefield or in a war zone uh, fighting in the night or the dark. So me growing up in, in, in California, we were always in the guns and riding motorcycles and, and, you know, skateboarding and surfing and just outdoor stuff, right? That's where, that's my lifestyle growing up. So we didn't have paint guns back then. So we used to have BB gun battles, right? So we had BB guns and pellet guns. So what we would do is the rules were amongst the friends is one pump, right? One pump. So it doesn't, you know, kill the guy, just stings a little and all shots below, you know, the head. So no eyeballs or whatever. We're young, dumb, stupid, right? So we're, we're fighting and my brother ends up, uh, but sometimes your friends a little bit farther than one pump, right? No one's around. You're like, well, he looks a little bit farther. Might need like three pumps to actually reach him. Right? So my brother came home one day, Raul Jr. And he's missing his front tooth. He got his tooth shot out, sticking his tongue through it laughing. So that happened. And then one time I shot my friend and he dropped down to the ground and it went right in the middle of his forehead. And the BB just turned into this big knot and I had to pop the BB out and the BB just popped out. It was, it was unbelievable. You know, the stupid things you do. Good thing is eyes didn't pop out, you know, just the stupid things you do when you're, your kids growing up. But 
it was daytime. So I could see my enemy. I could see where they're going so I could distance myself enough and not get shot. But imagine if I was fighting or you're in a war at night and your enemy has night vision and you don't. What would happen? You would be done, right? You wouldn't even see anything coming. So... That is our life without the light of Christ, Jesus Christ, and the word of God and the illumination of the Holy Spirit to be discerning between the supernatural realm and the natural realm. But why am I talking about a battlefield at night and being uh, and being able to see your enemy? Because in Ephesians 6, verse uh, chapter six, verse 10 to 18, Paul writes this. He says a final word. So this is at the end and he's kind of saying, Hey, Listen up, you guys. Pay close attention. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. First of all, we know that the Lord, Jesus Christ, is a title, right? So he's the Lord of our life. And who is Jesus Christ? Is he that guy? Is, is your Jesus that that picture of a, a, a man standing in a field with a lamb around his neck? Neck just like, and that's my Jesus, my Sunday morning Jesus. Or is he the one that it talks about in Revelations where there's fires in his eyes and the sword is coming out, uh, coming out of his mouth. And in, it says in the Psalms, it says, uh, the Lord is a warrior and Yahweh is a name. Yahweh is his name. Or God is a consuming fire. Or or the Jesus Christ from Nazareth that came from a rough neighbor that was a, a a construction worker that went through and 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 casted out demons and healed the sick and healed the blind and raised Jesus and and got raised from the dead and raised the dead man and just did American things. Is this is this the Jesus Christ? Is he's the one that delivered you from sin, from pornography, from drugs? He renewed your mind. He renewed your heart. He's given you life. Is this the Lord? So be strong. For me, this is being strong in the Lord of who He is in my life. And it says. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, his mighty power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the spirit that lives in you, that will transform you, that gives you that spirit led life. Then he goes on to say this, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Okay, so. Stand firm. First of all, when I think about stand firm, I think about that movie 300. Do you remember when they, they go, Syria's coming and they're coming with all their people and they, they're all dressed in black and they look crazy and the 300, they go down, they go, we're going to go down and we're going to meet them. I think it's called like Hell's Gate or something. It's like this big, it's like this crack between these two mountains and the 300 guys are standing there. They're like, all right, when they come, We'll be here waiting. They're not even worried. They're just like, because they're Spartans, right? Spartans are trained to like, just just destroy. They're just warriors from like, from birth. And they're like, yeah, there's 300 of them. And they're coming down with this whole country to like, you know, thousands to come kill them and take their land. And they're like, we'll be here waiting for them when they come. So Paul's like, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Well, who is the devil? What are his names? He's the father of lies. He's the destroyer. He's the dragon. He's the serpent. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the deceiver. Think about this. Who Satan is. His names is who he is. And those are the strategies against your life. He has one third of the angels in heaven. Satan doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He strategizes and he wants to destroy you. So it says, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. 
against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So we are fighting with, we are at war with the devil and his demons that are not visible but invisible. If And if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, he's not your God, therefore you can't put on the armor to protect you in the battle. Good luck. Verse 13, Paul goes on to say this, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Because the time of evil will come at some time, but are you able to resist the enemy? Now, in James it says, resist the devil and he will flee. Now, I don't believe a lot of us are resisting. Let me tell you what resisting looks like. Let me give you a picture. If I have a knife and I pull my knife up and I'm like, I'm going to put this, like you're basically not going home tonight. I'm going to take your life right now. I'm going to put this in you. What are you going to do? You're going to do everything in your power to stop me because you want to go home. You don't want to die. That is what resisting means. Now, my question to us, everyone that's listening on the radio and here too, do we truly resist the devil or do we just let the devil come in? You're at home at night. You're tired. The enemy starts coming. He starts tempting you with temptations to watch stuff, to listen to stuff, to do stuff, to go buy stuff, to put stuff into your body, whatever, whatever it is, whatever they are. We all have our own temptations. We all have our own struggles, right? We're all at different places with our walk with Christ. But he says, resist the devil. And the only way you can resist the devil is to have on all your armor of God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So he says, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, it says, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Stand your ground. This is that other picture in 300. So finally Persia shows up and they're all, they look like little demons. They're all dressed in black. I just watched on my plane the other day and they're coming in and there's thousands of them and they're coming down and it looks scary. And the Spartans are like, all right, get ready. They're like lock shield. They get their, they have their swords, but they also have their spears. They lock in and they're like, you, when they lock in, nothing can get through because they're fully armored up and they're prepared and they're ready for war. So they stand their ground and they take those guys out because they're ready. They're trained. They have their full armor on. They have their shields, their swords, everything they need. And they're ready and they're standing your ground. So we need to stand our ground just like Braveheart. Remember Braveheart? Hold, hold. And they lock in their shields. The same thing. We're in a battle, people. We are in a battle against flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, the spirits of the unseen realm. And then it goes on to say this. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts from the devil. Remember, the devil, it talks about the devil shoots fiery darts into our mind. He's a liar, a deceiver, the dragon. He likes to get our mind. He's the king of mind games. Think about a Spartan, how they're trained. Or like a, let's, let's just flip over to like a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret or someone gnarly, right? These guys are like Spartans. They're ready, right? To survive death. But if you get their mind, 
they can't do nothing with their body. If you get them so caught up in anxiety, depression, anxiety, or just lies, they can't even leave their house. Their body, their training is no good. So be aware of Satan throwing those fiery darts into our minds with mind games. Put on the salvation of helmet that you know that you're saved and take on the sword of the spirit so you can fight, which is the word of God. John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life right prior to the pandemic. Um, when it happened, we were going to a school cause we heard, and it was in LA by our church, Calvary Chapel Diamond Bar. Uh, there was a the school there. We were supposed to go the beginning of the school, uh, a couple weeks after school started, there was five suicides in the high school. And then there was two in the junior high. So we were going in to bring in the gospel. And one of the librarians was there and she's like, they're Christians. They can't come. And she caused this crazy thing. She did not want us to come in and talk to the people about Jesus Christ. She's like, forget them. Just let them, just let them basically commit suicide. So what happens is we go back to the church and when we go back to the church, what happened is we're sitting there and I'm like, God, I'm like, why would you do this? We were supposed to be there on this campus to give them the gospel. And my dad, which is pastor Raul Reese, as you know, he comes up to the room and he goes, Hey, there's a girl downstairs that's 15 years old and she looks very bad. You need to go talk to her. So I go downstairs, I walk in, there's these two pastors that are counseling her for about an hour. And I sit in, I said, Hey, what's going on? And they said, well, she's dealing with depression and she's being oppressed. You know, she's not doing good. We're going to pray for her and send her out of here. We've been counseling her for a while. So I sit down and I look at her just in the chair in front of her. And I go, Hey, are you involved with alcohol? Are you involved with drugs, pornography, witchcraft, Ouija boards, tarot cards. And she said yes to a few of the items. And I said, all right. And I just looked at her and then the Holy Spirit gives me a download. He gives me a word of knowledge and goes, she has a demon in her. So I just go, what's your name unclean spirit? And all of a sudden she's like sitting there like this. And all of a sudden she just manifests and all of a sudden sits right up with this look of disgust on her face all looking around all prideful and disgustful. And I said, and I tried to cast it out and she couldn't talk. And the Holy Spirit goes, the, the demon's holding her mouth. So she can't talk. So I said, in Jesus name, release her mouth. And boom, her mouth was able to open and talk. And you guys, if this is like shocking to you, go read the gospels. It's, it's in there. You're going to see the guy can't see the demon throws him into the fire. He's blind. You know, the whole thing. It's, this is all Jesus gospel stuff. You know, it's Bible stuff. So then I'm trying to get this demon out of her cast it out of her and it won't come out of her. So then the Holy Spirit says the demon's lying to her. So I said, is this demon lying to you telling you that I'm lying about what I'm saying about Jesus Christ? And she, she nods her head. So she has a relationship with the demon. She's talking to this demon. It's, it's all mind games, right? They're talking back and forth. He's just lying to her, downloading to her, just like the Holy Spirit downloads into us because Satan is a counterfeiter. So then from there, we, we, then my, my friend starts getting, my, my friend gets a download from Christ and tells him where to read in the Bible. So now we pull out the Bible. It's the sword of the spirit, right? We're fighting against the supernatural. So we bring the word of God out. We start showing her where to read the Bible out loud. And she starts having revelation. And then all of a sudden, thirty about 30 minutes into this reading the scripture and talking to her, next thing you know, my friend gets a, a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit to give to her. And he goes, did this demon tell you? That you were going to be rich by prostituting your body and the lights turn on. She's like, how'd you know that? She's sitting there with her sister and her mom. She's a fatherless daughter. Daughter, father's not around. And next thing you know, she realized she was deceived between the word of God, the spirit, 
manifesting and insight that she was given through words of knowledge. And she goes, well, what do I do? I said, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to repent and believe that Jesus Christ died for the, your sins of the world and receive it. And she confessed her sins and prayed. And I said, what's your name unclean spirit? And she looked at me in her right mind, just like the demoniac in his right mind. And she's like, what? She goes, I was forgiven. I go, how do you know you were forgiven? She says, because I, 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 after I prayed, I saw a picture in my mind. I saw my life. It was covered in blood. And then I became white because with the blood that was shed on the cross, washed her white as snow. God gave her a vision or a picture showing her what he did with her life. And we anointed her with oil. We prayed that she would receive the, the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened from there is she, uh, she got plugged into our church and now she looked like a total different person. And now she's plugged into our church. And that is a perfect example of the frog, the monkey, and the power of sin being broken and becoming a children of the light. John chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 says this, the word, who is the word? Jesus Christ. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never extinguish it, distinguish it. And it says this, verse 37 in John, it says, but despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded the eyes and hearted their hearts, so that their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot hear, and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people didn't believe, sorry, many people did believe in him however including some of the jewish leaders so there were some that did believe but not most of them didn't but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the pharisees would expel them from the synagogue they love human praise more than the praise of god and i'll end it with this do we fear what people will say about us if we say we believe in jesus christ at work or around our friends or the way we live our life and don't partake in sinful actions Do we love human praise more than standing for what is right and what is true in this crazy time in the world? Just You guys should know what's going on out there. I don't even have to educate you. It's everywhere. And in closing, verse 44, Jesus said this, and it's in red. When you want to read Jesus' voice, it's in red. It says this, if you trust in me, You are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as light to shine in the dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world, not to judge the world. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own own authority. The father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the father tells me to say. And I would end it with this one saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. We have to go after God. He loves us. He didn't come to judge us. He has a plan for us. And I'm going to tell you right now, 
I, I just look at the Jesus model. So I, I study the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. I go through it with Chuck Smith through the Bible, all the way through on the Bible app. So I know the word. But then I look at Jesus as the model. Jesus says he went from town to town, village to village, and he had his disciples. With the whosoever's movement, we have 12, we have not 12 ambassadors, but we have like, I don't know, eight or, I don't know, we might even have 12 now, I can't even count. We keep raising them up. I've discipled them, and right now I have three different tours happening at the same time while I'm on tour. I have guys going all, all over, and they're in the skate parks, they're in the public school system, and then we surface in churches for conferences or, or give Bible studies during Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or whatever. Our mission is the Great Commission. Jesus is the model. He showed us how to do it. All we have to do, like John the Baptist, be a man of the word, of scripture, and we have the illumination and the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts manifest. And these are the tools that we use as we go out to pray and lead people to the Lord. And then we get them plugged into church. It's very simple. We don't even have to overcomplicate it. You know, we think we got to do a crusade if we're going to reach people. Guess what? Crusades is full of mostly Christians. Okay. You could have like 50,000 people there and you got like, you know, 2000 non-Christians. They're full. It's the church bringing some people, but the real great commission is outside in the streets. How do we know that? Jesus is the model. That's why he said town to town, village to village. They're out there. They're in front of our face. Just go and get them. If there's anyone here, if there's anyone here that wants to receive Jesus or give their life back to the Lord, and this is even for the radio audience. Maybe you're driving and you're like, dude, this guy's making a lot of sense right now. God loves you. All you have to do is say this. If you're here, I'm going to just say it out loud and you could just say it. Just say Jesus. Is there anyone here that wants to receive Jesus? Say Jesus. Please forgive me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Cleanse me with the blood that was shed on the cross, washing me white as snow, and encounter me in a supernatural, personal way. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now get a Bible that you can read. Download the Bible app. New Living Translation is a very simple read. If you want to go a little bit more complex, go to the King James Version or the New King James. Read it from back to front, and God will transform your life. I love you guys. Thanks for having me. I'm going to invite Mike up. Well, thank you. Oh, Ryan's got some books. Uh, he wants to let you know that they're there. So you might find somebody you know that needs to uh, be ministered to that way. And so I just want to encourage you to stop by that little table there and um, visit with them. You know, one of the things that, again, I, I think is so important I, I really see a change in our world. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but the world is not what it was. And the world's not going to be even in the future what it is today. I've mentioned this before, but when you have, uh, in reality, the government will admit to 8.2% inflation. It's probably in reality more like 13%. If you've noticed just things that you go to buy are now almost double in price or a third more than they were, interest rates will go above the the inflation rate. So in other words, if inflation is 10%, uh, interest rates will be 12%. Well, that's going to make it where it's going to be hard to buy a house, buy a car, buy anything. We're watching our entire infrastructure of our country collapse. If your relationship with God is based upon comfort, friends, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Your relationship with God has to be based upon 
the surety of who Jesus Christ is. This morning we have communion. And Jesus was gathered in an upper room with his closest, dearest disciples. And even Judas Iscariot was there. People often ask, should I really forgive my brother? Or how can I forgive my brother? Jesus, knowing that Judas Iscariot would betray him, he still allowed Judas Iscariot to be there. Why is that? I believe simply, friends, it was hope of repentance. And you know, God's hope for repentance for you and those listening by radio is there for you today. Because see, God really loves you. He looks for the best in you, not the worst. And I'm speaking to Christians. Oftentimes we look at ourselves, we look at our failures, the wish of what is, even as Christians, God looks at you if the best that you can do. Just like a loving father would look at his children and say, I know you did a lot of things wrong, but I don't look at that. I look at the good things you've done. I just want to encourage you this morning as we have communion, that if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to have this. Jesus in the upper room, he, he holds up the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Peter, quoting the Old Testament in the book of Peter says, by his stripes, we are healed. We all need to be healed. Every one of us in this room, either a memory, maybe, maybe your ability to love, maybe your ability to be loved. We need to be healed, friends, because we're broken. We can't be a real good efficiency in a world with us being broken. God knows that. So we made a way that we could be healed. You see, the Corinthians went and turned communion into a drunken party. And they were partaking of communion in an unworthy fashion. They just thought it was some dumb ritual the church was doing. Let's get it over with and go pig out at 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 the food line. He said, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you because they fail to understand the medicinal, the spiritual, the physical gift of, of communion. By his stripes, we're here. What do you need to be healed of this morning? It might be your body. It might be your memories. It might be your heart. It might be your thoughts and your mind. It might be your ability to sleep at night. Whatever it might be, God is there to heal you. And then as you hold the cup in your hand, realize that in that cup, Jesus gave you and me a brand new start every day. King David said this, his promises are new every morning. If you're living in the failures of yesterday, you'll never advance to a high calling, the mark of God that he has for you today. And so realize for this reason, Christ died, not only to adopt you as his child, but also to give you a brand new start every day. That's love, friends. And it isn't that God's ignorant of us. As I shared earlier, we take interest in those that we love. God has taken great interest in you. And so he's there to restore, heal, and bless you. If I can have the guys come forward to pass out the elements. And as you hold these in your hand as we sing, I just want you to think about what you'd like God to heal you of. Think about what God would do in your life, starting over brand new every day. That's what God wants to do. If you've prayed and asked Christ in your life this morning, you're welcome to have communion. Let God bless you, restore you, and heal you in Jesus' name. Father, as these elements are passed out, as we hold them in our hands, Lord, may in a worthy fashion, we recognize what you did for us on the cross. 
what you did when your body was broken for us so we could be restored. Father, in Jesus' name, bless now every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.